Imagine a place where it's always night and you're holding faith for a dawn that never comes. I don't have to imagine. I've been there. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of League Lore and More. Uh, I'm your host, obviously, Funky Odor, and this week we are continuing with episode two of our Void series, and we are continuing on, in a way, the uh, story of Cassidy with the story of his daughter, Kaisa. Um, Kaisa was released exactly three, four years ago today, on March 7th of 2018. Um, does not feel like it was four years ago. Uh, she is a marksman, uh, played in the bot lane, and she, uh, can go either attack damage or ability power for her, her build paths, um, so you can have some fun, uh, with that, um, and, yeah, so she is Cassidy's daughter, and we will learn more about that with her biography and her story, and she is the 140th released champion in the game. So in the span between her and now four years later, they've only released 15, no, 18 champions, 17 or 18 champions uh, in those four years, um, which is not a lot compared to the previous 10, 12 years. Um, well, no, the previous nine years where they would have released the other 140. Um, so very, very, uh, a very big reduction in the rate at which they're releasing champions. And um, yeah, so she is like, a, she's humanoid. Obviously she's Kassadin's daughter, so he, he was human. Um, but uh, she has a suit around her that is, uh, you know, makes her look less human than than most and yeah that's about it I will um hop into the story and or her biography first and um I hope you guys learn something like always and we will uh see where you know her story takes us and if it leads us to any other of these Void Champions as we run through about the 10 or so that we have in this series. But without uh, saying any more, I will transition there into the music and uh, then get into the, uh, the details. So... Kaisa, Daughter of the Void Perhaps the most remarkable thing about the fearless hunter of the void known as Kaisa is how unremarkably her life began. She did not descend from tribal warriors hardened by generations of battle, nor she summoned from distant lands to fight the unknowable menace lurking beneath Shurima. Rather, 
She was just an ordinary girl, born to loving parents who called the unforgiving southern deserts their home. This was where she would spend her days playing with friends and her nights dreaming about her place in the world. In her tenth summer, the young girl Kaisa's destiny would be changed forever. Had she been older, she might have noticed more of the unusual events that had begun to unfold in the villages. Every day, her mother urged her to stay home for fear of strangers wandering the land, demanding tribute to dark powers below. Kaisa and her friends did not believe it until one evening they came upon a pen of sacrificial goats bought from nomad herdsmen. Using the knife her father had given her on her eighth birthday, she cut their tethers and set the animals free into a nearby canyon. It seemed like a harmless prank until the unthinkable happened. The ground began to quake. Flashes of light scorched the earth and the children ran for their lives. The void had been awakened. A great rift split the bedrock, swallowing up Kaisa's village and everyone in it, leaving nothing behind but sand pierced with twisted columns as black as night. Kaisa regained consciousness to find herself trapped underground. She was filled with crippling fear, but there was still hope. She, couldn't he she could hear the faint cries of other survivors. They called out to each other feebly, repeating their names one by one like a mantra. Sadly, by the third day, hers was the only voice left. Her friends and family were all gone. She was alone in the darkness. It was only when all seemed lost that she saw the light. She followed it down. Along the way, she found meager sustenance. Amid the debris left by the collapse were ragged water skins, rotting peaches, anything to keep starvation at bay. But eventually, Kaisa's hunger was replaced by fear once again. She found herself in a vast cavern, illuminated by an otherworldly purplish glow, and she could see that she was no longer alone. Skittering creatures swarmed in the depths. The first that came for Kaisa was no bigger than her, and she clutched her knife in both hands, ready to defend herself. The voidling horror knocked her to the ground, but she drove the blade into its pulsing heart, and the two of them tumbled deeper into the abyss. The creature was seemingly dead, but its unnatural skin had taken hold upon the flesh of her arm. The dark shell tingled, but was hard to steel to the touch. In a panic, Kaisa broke her knife, trying to remove it, but when the larger beasts came, she used it as a shield to make her escape. Soon enough, she realized the shell was becoming part of her. As her daily struggle to survive drew out into years, this second skin grew with her, and so too did her resolve. Now she had more than hope. She had a plan. Fight hard, stay alive, find a way back. She was transformed from frightened girl to fearless survivor, from prey to predator. For almost a decade, she has lived between two worlds in an attempt to keep them apart. The void hungers to consume not only the scattered villages of Shirima, but the whole of Ferunterra. She will not allow that to happen. Though she has slain countless void constructs, she understands that many of the people she protects would see her as a monster herself. Indeed, her name has begun to pass into legend. An echo of the ancient horrors of doomed Akathia. No longer Kaisa, but Kaisa. When memories fade and darkness surrounds you, find the strength inside. Uh, this short story for Kaisa is titled The Girl Who Came Back by Michael McCarthy. Listen to me. I tell the little girl who found me here beside the pit. I need you to hear me. There isn't much time. She leans forward without a hint of fear in her eyes. Tell me what to do. I like her. A slight smile breaks across my face for the first time in what seems like forever. Not this, I say, gesturing to the arrow gripped in her hand. She holds it like a spear. I was only a child when the void took me from my family, so I didn't know any better either. But the rest of them, they were so careless. Sacrifices, offerings, tributes. Whatever you want to call them, they were never going to work. It isn't some god appeased by gifts and prayers. It just wants to devour everything. You want to kill it? You want to destroy it? I ask her. She nods. Then stop it. The sensation of needles in my flesh grows stronger, as if in response to these words. The threatening presence is closing in around us, and my second skin constricts, pulling taut as a bow. I take one last deep breath before they come. The sand begins to shift, puckering and falling away like in, an, like in an hourglass. 
eerie pulses of light filter into the sky as the construct creatures heave themselves up into the stream at night, screeching and drooling. I steady myself, charging the energy inside my shoulder pods. I grip my teeth and release it. Bright blooms of heat and pain find their targets quickly, raining down, stopping the creatures in their tracks, flinging them aside. The air is filled with an acid reek and the hiss of melting chitin. Soon there is nothing left of them. I wait for the needle's itch to stop, but it doesn't. The girl is crouched beside me, ready. She probably cannot understand what she is seeing. Does it hurt? She whispers, her hand reaching out for the glowing scales on my arm. I pull back reflexively. She doesn't even flinch. Sometimes, I confess. Not too far away, her village sleeps on unaware, for the most part. Curiosity had no doubt gotten the better of this little girl. So many stories, fables, both frightening and fantastical. The voidling beasts hunting in the dead of night, calling to know, calling to one another. She just wanted to see for herself, see what lurks beyond the rocks, see the thing her people both fear and adore at the same time. My skin tightens again, the needles, the constant itch. I blink. I'm sorry, you didn't tell me your name. She stands up proudly, still brandishing the arrow. I'm Illy. I came to protect my family from the monster. She is no more than ten years of age. Well, Lily, sometimes running is the best thing to do. But you don't run, she says, narrowing her eyes, do you? A clever one, this girl. I shake my head. Not anymore. Then I won't either, Illy proclaims, brave as well. She has no idea what they're dealing with. None of them do. All these things her people have done to rid themselves of the creatures, they were just ringing the dinner bell. You need to tell them, Illy. You need to make them understand. No more dancing beneath the new moon, and no more animals tied to stakes. The void has no mercy to offer. It feeds or it dies. The day I came to understand this was when I knew I had a chance. Maybe that's why I survive, while so many others perish. But survival always has its price. Ever since I found my way back, I've been paying it. Look, the girl whispers, they are coming to find us. I don't have to look. I knew they would come. By instinct, the carapace draws over my face. Illy stares up at me. Don't be frightened, I say to her in a voice now so twisted and monstrous it could have the opposite meaning. Of what? She asks. I find myself wearing a smile she cannot see. There are only a handful of people who've ever seen me in the flesh, or whatever it is that now covers my body. All but two of them are dead. Illy's people appear to be capable hunters. Only the capable live out here. I can see where she got her bravery. Their torches twinkle in the night. Papa, she calls out to the searching villagers without warning me. I found her, the girl who came back. They're heading toward us now, weapons at the ready, fire in their eyes. Illy, her father yells, knocking an arrow to his bow. Get away from that thing. She looks up at me again, confused. For every little girl like Illy, there are ten others who would run the other way. Or worse. I know what most people say about me. I've seen their fear scrawled across mud walls, scratched into the canyon rocks. Beware the girl who came back a monster. They don't know a thing about me. To them, I'm just something they do not want to face, a living, walking, fighting embodiment of what they fear most. I guess that's why they added the mark to my name. Ten years ago, I was only Kaisa. Very much like Illy, hopeful about a future as limitless as the stars in the night sky. That future died the day the void dragged me down. The needless needles are back. Illy releases my hand just as my luminous weapons materialize over my arms. Go to him, I tell her. Go to your father. Illy, run, her father pleads. He draws back his bowstring with trembling hands. No, she yells, turning to me. I don't run anymore. I usher her forwards, keeping my eyes trained on the villagers. No, Illy, you were born a fighter. They will need you. After a few steps, she turns back. What do I tell them? Tell them... Tell them to be ready. The void has taken so much from me, but I refuse to let it take everything. These moments where kindness and humanity shine through, where innocence and trust extinguish fear. 
They fill me with hope that we can defeat the rivers of timeless poison that flow beneath the world. The first time I escaped the abyss, I did it for myself. Maybe one day it will be for them. That smell. Unmistakable. The void. I am the antidote for the rivers of poison flowing beneath us all. And we have a second story this week, and this one is quite lengthy, and it is called Hollow Spun by Dana Lurie Shaw. Kaisa peers out from the mouth of the tunnel and feels like she's standing at the edge of the world. A chasm so deep that sunlight doesn't hit the bottom. Surrounding it are the openings of dozens of other tunnels. All are carved into rock that sits deep below the surface, now exposed and crumbling. Once this, has been, once this had been home to a vast colony of void creatures. These had been their burrows, formed with the randomness of unmade matter. Sharp corners, dead ends, coils upon coils, all constructed without a plan beyond eat the world. That is the void. Mindless, organic machines driven by instinct to fight and consume and unmake with no thought beyond the present. She's killed enough to know there is nothing deeper than the creature to the creatures than that. But the tunnel Kaisa stands in is different. It is not random unmaking. It is practically a straight line running north, one she'd followed for nearly four days. This tunnel, this passage, was made with intention, with a goal. It doesn't make sense. Kaisa would make it would make it make sense, starting with where this passage led. So far it has led to this chasm. Kaisa's eyes open eyes the openings on the opposite side. Hard to tell how deep any of them go, but she would bet her second skin that one of them is a piece of the same passage she stands in now. She rolls her shoulders, her living armor wakes, pulling its flesh tightly against her own. It has been her only constant growing with her from the time she was a little girl. It had been one of the voidling beasts that killed her family, her village. Covered in its carapace, Kaisa would always be seen as a monster, but without it, she could not keep the world safe from the void. Without it, she would be nothing. The scaly pods at her shoulders flex and the embedded crystals illuminate as she selects her first target. The heat from the crystals spawns a plasma missile. She launches it down the mouth of a tunnel deep below the surface. It takes six seconds to cross the chasm. Massive. Another second and the missile hits a curve. Nope. Not what she's looking for. From here, it's point and shoot over and over. Most missiles hit something a second or two in, but Kaisa is nothing if not patient. She will go at this as long as it takes. She finds the tunnel she's looking for just as the sun begins to set. She waits for her missiles to cross the chasm, then starts the count. One, two, three, four, five, six. This is it. This one's the other end of the passage. Grinning, she fires a barrage around the opening to mark it. Her earlier missile is still going until she hears the horrible screech from whatever it struck. She turns her shoulder pods inward, pressing them together to hide their light. She waits silently for her prey to show itself. Another screech. A voidling creature emerges from the other side of the passage. Kaisa has spent years fighting and observing and cataloging voidlings. This is not one she's seen before. The creature's smooth, rounded body, injured from her missile, deforms at a, as it opens its long, lower jaw. Its mouth is filled with translucent, needle-like teeth jutting out at dangerous angles. Its sides expand and contract like it's breathing. Or taking in scent, she thinks as it turns. No eyes, but it can still find me. She takes aim as the sun dips below the horizon. The voidling begins to glow. Something, a tongue emerges from its mouth and emits a soft bluish light, looking like the hanging lamps in a human's minds. Haven't seen a voidling do that before. She notices that its injury is glowing too. Guess I'll call it a lamplight. She lets a missile fly. The lamplight's posture changes. It lets out a high, sustained shriek and dodges Kaisa's blast. Damn it. Kaisa lines up another shot. The entire tunnel behind it blooms with blue light. Hundreds of lamplights join the first. Mouths open, tongues raised and glowing. Kaisa forces herself to breathe slowly. She's fought worse odds. All in one spot. Excellent. Kaisa unleashes a barrage, hoping to take out all the voidlings at once. 
In the time it takes the missiles to cross, the voidlings spill out like dust, clinging to the walls of the chasm as the barrage whistles past them harmlessly. What? Led by the injured lamplight, they move as one, toward Kaisa. Th the hell. She raises her hands and fires rapidly at the swarm. She hits a few, but not enough to make a dent in their numbers, and they are already a quarter of the way to her. Kaisa looks around wildly. Not many options. Fight from her current location, run back down the passage, take her chances and dive down. Try to climb, fight them from the surface. She glances above, then at the swarm. They're halfway around. Climb. Kaisa shoots into rock four times in a zigzag. One for each of her hands to grip and for feet to balance. Pulling herself up, she begins to climb. Shoot, grab, pull. Shoot, grab, pull. As fast as she can. Kaisa makes her path. Her shoulder pods shoot at the swarm. They're near, but Kaisa's pace is good. She's more than halfway to the... And her hand hits sand. She shoots again. There's nothing for her missile to pierce. It blows through the sand and more seeps down to fill the empty spot. There's nothing to grab. Can she jump the rest of the way? Jaw clenched, Kaisa turns toward the monsters. If she's going to die, she'll take as many with, of them with her as she can. Suddenly, the wall around the Voidlings cracks and crumbles. Hundreds of lamplights drop with the falling stone, their lights swallowed by the darkness of the chasm. Only three of them still rush toward Kaisa. That's a number she can handle. They're close enough that she can see barbs on their tongues. Three shots fire, two lamplights fall, one left. It smacks its horny tongue against Kaisa's ribcage. Her ribs crack beneath her armor as she slams against the rock. She struggles to take a breath while a suit repairs over her injury. Gripping the wall with her left hand, she grabs the creature's tongue just below the barbs with her right. Violet power surges. The lamplight's tongue melts around her hand. Screaming, it backs away. Kaisa takes aim. This time, she doesn't miss. Okay, Kaisa breathes. Okay, next step. She'll have to find a way to the surface. That's when she notices the stone cube sticking out from the sand. That wasn't there before. Kaisa reaches out and grabs it. It is exactly the right size for her hand. She tests part of her weight on it. It holds. Curious, she leans to one side and looks farther up. Jutting out every arm span or so is another one of these stone cubes. She'll question this turn of good luck later. Kaisa scrambles up, one cube at a time, until she's out. Looking around in the moonlight, she sees no landmarks, just dunes and rocky cliffs. A sandstorm kicks up in the distance. She glances down into the into the chasm. If she squints, she can almost make out a glow. The wind gets loud. Storm's approaching fast. She turns to face it. At the center of the storm is... a girl. The ground explodes under Kaisa's feet. She hurtles through the air toward the storm, an arm in front of her broken ribs. She shifts position midair, her shoulder pods folding in front of her like a battering ram. If Kaisa's attacker wants to bring her closer, that's their mistake. Something wraps around her shoulder pods and wrists, pulling her down, slamming her to the ground. Her ribs feel like they're on fire, and her helm cracks where her head meets the earth. She gets to her feet and forces her wrists apart. A red scarf studded with stones falls away. With a guttural yell, she sets her hands alight. She's stopped by the look of surprise and horror on the girl's face. Even all these years later, she is still taken aback when someone looks at her and sees only a monster. Push past it, Kaisa. She brings her hands up again, ready to attack. You're human? Kaisa realizes she's looking at the girl through the crack in her helm. Oh. You see me? It doesn't matter. Humans are always afraid of her, whether or not they know she is one of them. But the girl's expression gives Kaisa a foolish hope. Maybe this time could be different. Cautiously, Kaisa lets the helm pull away from her head, revealing the rest of her true face. The girl drops to her knees, and Kaisa's breath catches in her throat. I am so sorry, the girl says. I thought you were... a monster. Well, yeah, the girl gestures toward the chasm. People tend not to survive long in these collapses, she gazes at Kaisa's second skin. And you don't look human at first glance. The girl is not as young as she thought. She must be around her own age or older. Kaisa stares as the scarf lifts from the ground by its stony ends. The stones, she says quietly. You control the stones? The girl nods as the scarf wraps itself around her neck as though by magic. You made those cubes come out of the sand. The girl shrugs, smiling. 
I could feel someone was down there with those monsters, so I tried to help. Her smile slips. It's all I've been doing for weeks now. Months. Hard to keep track. Kaisa blinks, eyes suddenly stinging. Someone else is fighting the void, she realizes. Not the same way I am, but... Who are you? A smile returns. My name is Talia. Dancing firelight greets the two women as they enter Talia's camp, but it's the scent of roasting meat that holds Kaisa's attention. She's surprised that Talia doesn't go first to warn the others not to be afraid of the monster. Not that she could blame them when her living armor rumbles with hunger, ready to devour anyone who gets too close. The tents, cobbled from scraps of fabric and solid slabs of rock, look like Talia's work. A group of 30 or 40, mostly children and elders, surround a large fire pit at the center of the camp. The way they look at her, silently with wide eyes and hunched shoulders, is horribly familiar. Fear. Kaisa doesn't meet anyone's gaze. It's for their comfort, but really it's for her own. Tilia's arms are open wide as she introduces Kaisa, diving into a dramatic retelling of their meeting. The only movement in the crowd is the flickering of flames, stillness, and silence. I don't have to stay, Kaisa mumbles. Tilia shakes her head. You're injured. I can't send you back out there when you haven't eaten or rested. I won't. A child half her height, a red cowl wrapped around his shoulders, stands. You sure she's human, he squints. Maybe it's just some kind of disguise. He almost falls backward from the force of two older girls pulling him down into his seat. Tilia laughs. Haven't you seen a void monster that... Have you seen a void monster that can smile, Samir? She retorts. I haven't. Everyone looks at Kaisa expectantly. She does her best approximation of a smile, close-lipped so as not to look too aggressive. It doesn't seem to scare the children. A victory. The boy, Samir, stands again. Fair enough he says as he walks toward Kaisa. He offers her a half-eaten piece of meat on a stick. Want the rest of my sand snake? Everyone else seems to breathe easier as Kaisa accepts the food. She rips the meat from the stick and swallows without chewing, her suit purring in relief. Zaifa, one of the older girls with jade beaded through her hair, offers her more. This time, Kaisa slows down enough to appreciate the flavoring of cinnamon, sour lemon, and smoky ul towat berries. The taste brings back old memories of life with her parents, of her father cooking over an open flame while her mother ground the ul towat with her pestle. Kaisa shakes her head to clear her mind. No good can come from dwelling in those memories. She really doesn't need the rest, and she's already eaten enough for her ribs to start healing. But the camp has already started to relax, with people chatting over their own meals. Some have even turned their back to her, a show of trust. And the hope in Talia's eyes is unmistakable. Please stay, they seem to say. Don't leave us yet. I'll stay a while, she concedes, to heal. The passage will still be there tomorrow. Through the night, Kaisa indulges in both food and stories. Everyone has a tale to tell. The younger children speak of how their homes fell into the sand, how much they miss their parents and siblings, how they hope to reunite with them soon. They are dead, killed by the void, as my own family was. Kaisa does not say what she is thinking. Some of the elders speak of the sun-blessed ascended warriors. Others tell the story of the last emperor and the chaos that followed his death. Zaifa describes the darkness that infected the ascended and drove them to madness and evil. None are believable, but Kaisa listens intently. The story told by Kadira, an older girl with rocky arm braces, is by far the most outlandish. She talks of a place called Zolan, across the Sa'i Kalik that has been magically protected for millennia. It is said to be a paradise, she sighs, with libraries and gardens and water that flows as far as the eye can see, and everyone is safe without fear. Kaisa did not, does not realize that she has scoffed until Kadira and the children look at her. No place is safe from the void, Kaisa says, especially so close to the Sa'i Kalik. It's a myth. It's real, Kadira insists. Where do you think we're all headed? Without another word, Kaisa stands and leaves the storytellers to their tales. She finds Talia leaning amongst one of the tents, deep in conversation with Zaifa and Samir, lit more by moonlight than by firelight. Zaifa traces her finger across an open scroll. You aren't actually searching out this Zolan. Kaisa doesn't frame it as a question. 
you'd be putting yourselves in real danger, crossing the Sa'i Kalik over a fantasy. Talia exchanges a look with Zaifa, who handles Kaisa the scroll, a map of eastern Shurima. She points to a dot to the north of the Sa'i Kalik. Zolan, north, the same direction as the passage. Kaisa frowns. It's the best chance we have of finding safety for these people, Talia explains. Their homes have been destroyed, their families separated. They need hope that things will be okay. False hope helps no one when it comes to the void. The only thing you can do is run and hope you're fast. Talia shakes her head. If we go around the Sai, we'll run out of food. Stay where we are, we run out of food. Go back and we'll all will find our towns that fell. Where else do we run? Kaisa stares at Talia. Do you know what lives in the Sai Kalik? What hunts there? The Zersai. We've all heard the stories. No, Zolan is a story, Kaisa says. The Zersai are real. I've fought them before many a time. This is their nest. Trying to cross it is a death sentence. I fought void creatures too. Or did you forget that I saved you? Those weren't Zersai. Whatever they were, I defeated them when you couldn't. Kaisa can see determination in the set of Talia's jaw. If Zolan is our only hope, then that's where I'm going to lead everyone. Besides, we've got a plan, Samir says, excited. Talia's going to build a bridge or wall or something over the sand, and we'll take people across together. He can't be that much older than I was when the Void took me. Aloud, she asks, What, can you move stone too? I'm the best rock hopper you've ever met, Samir says with a confident grin. None of those monsters can move as fast as my sandboard, and if they try, he mimes a blast from the ground. Talia drives them back with some rock explosions. You sound like a child, Kaisa spits. Samir's smile drops. The children of Rek'Sai. All they do is devour. Anything that gets in their way, gone. She leans in close. When they hear you, they hunt you. They don't stop until their teeth close around your bones. You're scaring him, Zaifa accuses as she puts a steadying hand on Samir's shoulder. Good. He should be. So come with us, Talia says confidently. You can help keep everyone safe. No, because you're not going, Kaisa points to Samir. You're not putting these children in that kind of danger. They'll die. Make your way around the Sai. Take as many as you can. Leave the slowest behind. Use their rations to. We won't. Samir stands toe-to-toe -to -toe with Kaisa, glaring up at her. Talia will protect us. I will protect us. He puffs out his chest. I'm going to help these people, and they're all going to make it across, because, because each of their lives means something. He stomps back toward the fire pit, with Saifa chasing after him. It's your only chance, Kaisa says quietly. Otherwise, you're condemning them all to death. No. Talia steps in front of Kaisa, refusing to let her look away. Our world is a tapestry, and every life is a thread of a different color. Each one makes the whole more beautiful. Uh, metaphors. Then the void is a flame, Kaisa replies. It unmakes everything it touches. If your tapestry catches fire, the entire thing will burn, unless you cut the smoldering threads away. Then you still save most of it. You're wrong. Any threads that drop make it all unstable, easy to unravel. Sunlight appears at the horizon, and Talia's eyes flash gold. I'm not willing to let any of them go. The camp sleeps through the heat of the day. Kaisa wakes a few hours before sunset. People shoulder packs and gather bindles, ready to move on. Children hand out flatbreads and cheese. She overhears as a child pulls at Kadira's robes and shyly asks if the older girl could take the scary lady her food. Talia collapses the stone structures back into the earth, leaving little sign that they were ever there. Kaisa watches and nibbles at her bread, trying to make it last. I don't suppose you've changed your mind, Talia says, and decided to join us? Kaisa sees the sheen of sweat on the girl's brow. This exhausts her more than she lets on. No, I have somewhere else to go. She sighs, and you haven't changed yours. Talia shrugs. I have somewhere to go, too. She turns back to her work. I'm disappointed, 
you know what you're doing with these void monsters, you could help these people. The best way I can help is to figure out what made that void passage. It was made with a purpose in mind, and that scares me. But she doesn't say that. Instead, she says, I hope you can help them yourself. The passage proceeds as much as it had proceeds much as it had earlier in a straight line. Except it feels lonely now. Kaisa wonders if she shouldn't have spent so much time with Talia. She's been alone for more than half her life, just her and the void monsters that dwell below the surface world. She didn't realize how good it would feel to be a person again. Alone with her thoughts, she hardly notices the time pass. Soon, she sees older tunnels, enormous holes punctuating the passage walls and leading elsewhere. Zersai tunnels. I'm below the Sai Kalik, but she still doesn't see or hear any Zersai. She spots a bluish glow down one of the tunnels. Quietly, with as little motion as possible, Kaisa peers down the opening into the darkness. She sees a few smaller Zersai of a kind that she has encountered and named before. A group of callers, reedy bipedal creatures with four prehensile jaw talons, chirp softly to one another. Their shrieks can cut through the desert, alerting others to the presence of fresh prey. Spiky hatchlings, already larger than the collars and due to grow much larger still, stand beside them. Together they encircle dozens of lamplights. One of them has a glowing blue mark like a burn on the side of its body. That's the one I shot, Kaisa realizes in horror. Talia's attacks didn't kill it. It might not have killed any of them. As she watches, one of the hatchlings stalks over to the marked creature. It extends its tongue and touches it to the hatchling's horn. A soft blue light engulfs the hatchling. It glows. The sudden chattering of collars drowns out Kaisa's gasp. What are they doing? Her heart beats in her throat as more hatchlings and collars go toward the lamplights to receive their own glow. Are they making the Zersai more powerful? She shakes her head to clear her thoughts and takes aim at the marked creature. Whatever it is, I'm going to stop them. That's when a loud boom shakes the earth. An enormous Zerasite's dunebreaker cuts through the stone wall with the bladed horn above its eight eyes. The talons along its jaw scratch into the rock, leaving deep gashes. Every step shakes the ground to drive fear into its prey. It hisses, swiping its horn at the lamplights. It slices three of them at once, their deflated bodies leaking bright blood. The dunebreaker doesn't like what the lamplights are doing. The lamplights screech and flee toward the passage, toward Kaisa. She feels the familiar rush of power as she and her suit become invisible just in time for the lamplights when the dune breaker to know to rush northwest pass her. The dune breaker's horn rips a deep gash through the top of the passage. It bows inward. The passage is going to collapse. She dash dashes ahead trying to keep up with the massive Zersai while it can't see her. I need to know where this leads. I have to understand. But then, from somewhere behind her, screams. Human screams. Kaisa drops her invisibility and dashes up toward the surface before everything crumbles beneath her. She blinks as her helm readjusts to the sunlight. The dust clouds make it hard to see, and the crash of rockfall pierces her ears, but she can still see, hear the sounds of panic. She runs toward them. Ahead of her, she sees the crevasse that formed where the dunebreaker's horn tore through the ceiling of the passage. A stone platform is dangling over the edge, though most of it remains on the sand, refusing to fall into the fissure. The people standing atop the platform are screaming, but a lone figure remains calm. Talia. Her stone bridge. She's the only thing keeping it up. Her arms shake from the strain, but slowly she lifts the front of the platform back toward the surface. A child shout comes from below. Someone fell into the passage. Caesar sprints towards Talia. You need to get back, she shouts as the bridge rises. The whole thing is going to collapse beneath all of you if you don't move. Samir's down there, Talia screams as the bridge finally makes it to the surface, settling on the ground with a thud. I'm not going to leave him. She lets out a strangled yell and pushes against air with one hand. The bridge groans as it scrapes away from her, pushing it a good distance away from the collapse. Then she dives into the crevasse. Kaisa stares over the edge. She's going to die down there if I don't help her. Kadira and Zaifa come running from the bridge. Kaisa fires at their feet. What are you doing? Kadira shouts, jumping back. That huge Zersai could turn back any minute, Kaisa says. Get the others out of here. We're not going anywhere until we know Talia and Zamir are safe. 
Zaifa says with clenched fists. We can help you. I don't have time for this, Kaisa thinks as her shoulder pods unfold, crystals crackling with power. If I kill these two, the others will run. Kadira and Zaifa join hands, but they do not move. Kaisa remembers the stories they told around the fire pit, the food they shared with her, their fear of her and how it left them over the course of the night. I don't want to hurt them. I'll go down and help them. Please, go back to the others. They need someone to be strong for them. Fine, but you have to bring them both back, Zypha spits out as she and Kadira run back toward the bridge. I will. I promise. Without glancing back, Kaisa leaps into the glowing, growing hollow below. Her feet hit the bottom hard enough to snap any normal person's bones. In the distance, she sees glowing voidlings. Not just the lamplights, but the hatchlings and collars they've converted. Surrounding a smooth stone dome. That must be where Talia and Samir are. She hears a subtle ship in the rumbling sounds from afar. The dune breakers turned around, she realizes. If it's after the lamplights, it'll be coming right back here. Kaisa digs deep into the power of her living armor. Her wrists are surrounded by violet light until they're not invisible again. She, f she fires on the collars. All five die without making a sound. The hatchlings turn, looking for the source of the attack. Only the blind lamplights tasting the air can sense her. Before they can pinpoint her, she's already taken out the hatchlings. Now she's in trouble. Dozens of lamplights rush toward her. She fades back into visibility and dashes away as fast as she can. They're on her in a matter of seconds. She fires wildly, but only a few of them drop. One catches her by the ankle, slicing through her suit with the barbs on its tongue. She falls as she attempts to dodge more attacks, but they slice at her from all sides, faster than her suit can knit itself back together. Blood drips from her arms, her legs, her cheek. She tastes the tang of copper as it runs over her lips. She then, and then something explodes from beneath. The lamplights are propelled back and away. They pause, confused. Kaisa looks beyond them. Talia's head pokes through the top of the dome. She's shouting something. Kaisa's helm reforms and she hears Talia shout, Come toward me. Kaisa crouches. Give me a running start. The earth explodes beneath her, propelling her through the air over the voidlings and toward Talia. She lands on her good ankle and tries to sprint. She can't, so she dips back into her suit's power, letting it drain her reserves of energy to speed the healing of her ankle. She can't run for long, but she'll try to make it count. As the monsters get closer, Talia propels Kaisa toward her again. The ground she lands on is different, with sharp bumps dotting the earth. Kaisa runs over them, trying to get the lamplights to follow her, rather than go toward Talia. The one in front bears her mark and gets close enough to reach for her again. An explosion tears it to pieces, staining the earth with glowing blood. Kaisa stops in shock. Keep running, Talia shouts. That's what triggers the explosions. So she does, circling toward Talia. A few lamplights get too close. Talia's rock explosions tear through them. The others seem to learn, slowing down, but they become a target for Kaisa's missiles. It doesn't take long to thin their ranks, but the rumbling grows louder as the dune breaker bores its way back. We don't have much time. There's only a handful left. Kaisa stands near the dome, exhausted, and fires the last missile she has the energy to make. Slowed by the minefield, each voidling takes the hit. Grinning, she turns to Talia. The girl is pale, coughing from the dust in the air. Her arm is around a frightened Samir's shoulders as he struggles to keep her upright. I can't, Talia pants. The ground, it's unstable. I can't keep holding it up. Kaisa takes Talia in, in her arms. She beckons for Samir to cling to her back, then runs toward, runs toward the walls of the hollow. I'm at my limit. I don't know if I can make it up to the surface like this. Suddenly, Talia twists out of Kaisa's grip and leaps, summoning a rising platform beneath her feet. She pulls Kaisa toward her and propels them all upward. Her strength gives out just short of the surface. Kaisa and Talia grab the ridge and do their best to hold on. A dozen hands reach down, covered in dirt and dust. Is this real? Kaisa wonders as she stretches up toward them. Two hands pull her up. It is. She looks up, recognizing some of the faces from Talia's camp. One of the hands around her wrist belongs to Kadira. I'm being rescued. Zaifa, Talia cries once they're all on solid ground again. Kadira, you came back for us. And brought help, Kaisa nods at them both. Smart. Thank you, 
blow the dune breaker bursts back into the hollow. Kaisa holds her finger to her lips and mouths don't move. Dune breakers can only sense things they can hear or feel or see moving. If we stay still and quiet, we'll live. The creature prods the deflated bodies of the lamplights with its horn. It shuffles around, finding the corpses of the glowing collars and hatchlings. Satisfied that its enemies are dead, it burrows back through the rock and down into the earth. Kaisa waits until they can, can't hear it anymore before she lets anyone move. Then Talia, exhausted and pale, lifts another bridge of stone from the ground and takes them all back toward the others. A drained Kaisa and an only somewhat humbled Samir bring up the rear. I would have made it back up on my own, Samir says with a tired grin at Kaisa, but it was nice of you to come help. What, with me showing, slowing everyone down and all? Kaisa gives the kid a sidelong glance and can't help but smile. Couldn't sit back and lose the best rock hopper I've ever met, could I? A roaring fire burns bright in the fire pit. Talia's stone bridges, pushed from the side to safety, have become a wall around the camp. Kaisa lies beyond the light not willing to let on how her how sore her body still is. Better to rest than to eat, she thinks miserably, the scent of charred cabbage floating toward her. Talia sits and silently offers Kaisa a bowl full of cabbage and millet. Kaisa pushes it away. You're not hungry, Talia asks. I'm angry. Talia looks surprised. Why? You should have listened to me, Kaisa says bitterly. Instead, you couldn't protect your people. Those voidlings you thought you killed were the ones attacking us. You almost lost everyone. If I hadn't been there, you would have. She sees the regret in the twist of Talia's lips, the set of her jaw. And when they needed you most, you abandoned them. You left them all to die so you could try to maybe save one person. Talia is quiet for a moment. Not that I'm grateful, but... Not that I'm not grateful, but... You know you did the same thing when you came down to help me, right? Kaisa doesn't know how to... Sh to respond to that. Don't go towards Zolun, Kaisa says after a few moments of awkward silence. The void passage that collapsed, the one I've been following, was directly below your route there. I'm pretty sure that Zolun is where it leads. That means the void already has it. Talia nods, her shoulders slumping. I'll tell them they need to find another place. They? What about you? Well, I'm going to Zolun. Talia. That's where you're going, right? Talia sighs. I thought I could protect these people, get them to safety, but you were right. There is no safe place, so we'll have to make one. Uh, what do you mean? If the void is in Zolan, then we take it back. Make it safe enough to lead everyone to it, and try to help whoever is already there. Talia sounds so optimistic. If the void has taken the town, there's not going to be anyone left to save. We can't know that from here. Even if there's one person who needs our help, that will be worth it to me. Talia steps forward and takes Kaisa's hands in her own. They feel warm and calloused, even though Kaisa's second skin, even through Kaisa's second skin. I can't do it without you, Kaisa. I didn't kill those lamplights on my own, but I was able to when you were there with me. Let's find this place together. If she had been there when my home fell to the void, maybe it could have been something different. Kaisa looks at the hope in Talia's eyes, the strength in it, but I am who I am. The world needs me like this. So does she. I've seen what we can do together. I think I need her too. So does whoever might still be alive in Zolan. Kaisa takes a bite of the charred cabbage and nods. Fine, another thread for the tapestry. Talia waves goodbye to her people as Zaifa leads them away. Earlier, Zaifa had found a spot on the map, a former trade city, that should lead them through grazing territory. Even if we run out of food, she had said, there's a good chance that we'll be able to hunt there. Be safe and be well, Talia had said, hugging her tightly. The blessings of the great weaver upon you all. Now they are out of sight. She turns back to Kaisa, her only companion for the next leg of this journey. I know she's happy to have the company, Talia thinks with a secret smile, even if she won't admit it. Together they set out across the Sai Kalik, on a floating stone bridge, their destinies momentarily woven into one. Down there, I was surrounded by nothingness. But I was never alone. Memories comfort like the closest companion. Okay, that is Kaisa with an appearance from Talia, 
who we talked about many months ago in our Shreeman series, the Stone Weaver. And uh, so it's good to see them fighting the void together, and hopefully we'll see their journeys, their journey together continue in a future story. But that was very, very long. Oh my gosh. And yeah, um, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about it right now um, since it went for so long, but uh, I really appreciate anyone who's stuck through all of that because I know it was probably cringe at times hearing me try and give a slight accent to my voice as to what Kaisa has. And um, we'll be back uh, next week with uh, someone related to Kaisa's lore, but that didn't really come through here uh, in the stories, but uh, you will see next week. And uh, thank you all for listening, and uh, see you then. I forgive you, Malzahar, but I do not forget.